Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my brand new podcast, Beast, The Murder of Nora Sheen, streaming now, wherever you get your podcasts. Have one, say, at O'Connell Street, have one up at Gravel Street, have one at Smithfield. They can't control us all. Seven o'clock, be in town. Everyone, belly up, towel up, and any fucking jippo, foreigner, anyone, just kill them. Just fucking kill them. Let's get this on the fucking news. Let's show the fucking media that we're not a fucking pushover. And no more foreigners are allowed into this potsy country. No fucking more. Enough is enough. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The brave actions of a hero care worker, a Deliveroo driver, and passers-by who came to the aid of young children who suffered a horrific knife attack in Dublin have been recognised amid the shocking riots that followed a dark day in the capital. As the dust settles on an uprising that saw public transport set on fire, Gardaí cornered and attacked, and the looting of shops, we consider what happened in Dublin last week to put it on the worldwide stage for all the wrong reasons. How did a shocking attack on young children lead to the terrifying scenes that followed? And how do we start to understand the growth of racism in Ireland? A nation once treated in similar fashion over decades of mass migration. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the fallout from events in the city and about the rise of the far right. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So I think we start at the beginning of this and we'll start with that knife attack on those three children and their care assistant outside a school in the north inner city on Thursday afternoon. Because, of course, we do have to start somewhere. Um, Now, this happened on Parnell Square East, which if people know Dublin, you travel up O'Connell Street and you go round at the very top of it, you turn around left with the gate theatre opposite you. And the road kind of swings back around to Parnell Square with the rotundas opposite where this little school is, this Gale School, Kalosh to Wirra. We're kind of at the back of Chapter's bookstore at the back of the ILAC Centre. So it's really busy. 
And of course, the Garden of Remembrance is there also, uh, which people may know. Really, really busy part of town and one thirty in the afternoon. The kids are lined up, about seven of them. Their day in school has finished and they're ready to go to their little aftercare, their little creches. And um, their care assistant or their, their teacher is standing with them. And out of nowhere comes this the suspect who's believed to have been sort of hanging around nearby, maybe watching them, possibly uh, waiting for this moment, this time of the day to happen. And he seems to very, very quickly start attacking one of the children with a knife. Yeah, I mean, it's a totally random attack. He had no connection with the, with the school, with the children, with any of the people working in the school. Um, the, he's a 49-year-old man. Uh, he was born in Algeria, but has lived in Ireland for a long time and has certainly been an Irish citizen for o- approaching a decade. Um, there's no warning. There's no context for it other than just a random attack. Um, certainly he, he attacks one child. Um, the care assistant who who's in charge of basically collecting the kids from school and bringing them to their after school, as you, you know, many people would have been in similar circumstances, working parents where, you know, there's an arranged after school and somebody has to bring them from the school to the to the place. This woman uh, intervenes, you know, at the risk of her own life. Absolutely. Clearly um, attempts to, to basically put her self in the way of the attack suffers knife wounds herself two other children are are also suffer wounds uh, far less serious than the first child and as the t- the attack unfolds a number of people onlookers because this is one of the busiest parts of the city center uh, also intervene to help the woman um one of them is a brazilian delivery route driver who he spoke very immediately after the incident, um, there's also a woman who uh, was attending the Stardust uh, uh, inquest. And there's also a man, um, a Dublin man uh, who also intervenes. Um, and at that point, then the attacker is disarmed. As he is disarmed, he's he's also uh, suffers injuries. And then, you know, the police arrive at the scene and the news eventually breaks and it breaks across the world within half an hour and um, back at, uh, at one stage in our careers um, it might have made what would have been the Herald final for five or six o'clock Nicola you'll remember that mm. and then it would have ended up on the radio or maybe at the six o'clock news but it's not like that within uh, minutes now it is all over the world the Guardian the Mail all all the American newspapers and that's just by the nature of the randomness of attack on such young children. I mean, that has never, nothing like that has ever happened in this country before from memory. It's, it's, a, it's not something that we hear of happening uh, too frequently in many European capitals. I just wanted to dwell on that for a minute. You know, after that initial knife attack on the first child and the care assistant sort of steps in and puts herself in the way that seems to allow some of the other children, the seven I spoke about, some of them run, make an escape. Yes, some of them make an escape. Um, it's obviously uh, two other children they were attacked simultaneously or within the first few seconds. I mean, you can imagine all of this is happening in a very public place. 
very quickly. Yeah, I'm just trying to sort of, you know, picture it. It, it. I mean, that, you know, very quick action by that care assistant must have slowed him down. It must have caused the attacker a certain amount of pause for, you know, you know, he had to work out what he was going to do next. And it sort of allowed also some members of the public to kind of, I suppose, see exactly what was going on to start to intervene. You know, you can't wonder what you do in the circumstances yourself. Human nature is very much all about protecting children. And, uh, you know, those people can't be thanked enough for their interventions, really. No, because this is not, um, and certainly in the case of the the care worker, the the crash worker, I mean, she literally put herself in the way of the attack um, and an act of incredible bravery. And there is no doubt that um, there could have been a huge loss of life if she hadn't done that. Obviously, children of that age, very young children, are literally incapable of protecting themselves physically. Um, She seems to have attempted to wrestle even while sustaining knife runes attempted attempted to wrestle the knife off off the attacker and um, so it really is uh very very heroic and she is remains critically ill in the hospital as far as the last update we received um and it has obviously come at a huge personal cost to her own health uh, but it is an act of an ordinary uh person's act of heroism really and, you know, in a way, she wasn't alone because other people also stepped in, um, including, you know, people from all sorts of backgrounds stepped in to try and, and save these kids. So in the midst of a story of horror uh, of the worst of humanity, you also see some of the best. Um, and, you know, that's the truth of it. So in the scuffle that uh, happened, the knife falls out or is somehow tossed out of the perpetrator's hand. It ends up on under trees near the rotunda and the police are called, obviously. And they eventually come. This man, this suspect is taken to hospital where he remains under armed guard there at the moment. But at the same time, as news starts to spread about what's happened, people start gathering. And, uh, you know, I think there is certainly a little bit of unpleasantness then towards the police uh, who are present there around Parnell Square East and Cavendish Row. So, I mean, if you look at the, the context as well um, for what has happened, there's been maybe following the Ashling Murphy trial, there's a lot of action on social media around immigration, a lot of comment, um, a lot of debate, if you if you want to call it that. So straight away, um, certain People, let's put it that way, are putting up the fact that they, they are giving details of the man's background. This is in advance of it uh, appearing, obviously, from the guards or any of the, the other media outlets. And the word has gone goes around on social media that the, the man in question is Algerian. So straight away, then that is becomes viral and there instantly is talk of Let's meet up. We have to congregate in Dublin city centre. Now, there's obviously a normal level of anger that children have suffered this. There's also a coordinated response from people that have an agenda, an anti-immigration agenda. Um, So there's a mix of things going on. It's in a very busy part of of town. So there's automatically a lot of people around. And um, you can see within a couple of hours, 
you know, as as the afternoon progresses, there's people starting to congregate, and the guards uh, are keeping people off the scene. So there's a there's a degree of confrontation already occurring, um, as people are are you know demanding whatever answers, and the guards are as they always do in these scenes, pushing people away from the crime scene, and basically tensions are visibly mounting you know there's photographers obviously news media from across ireland and and beyond and there's tensions between some of the people the bystanders and some of the uh, media as well so it's a boiling pot that's been growing it's grown from that day but it's been growing over a couple of weeks on social media anyway since the ashling murphy uh, trial came to an end. And it's interesting because the sentiment, you know, within that group that would go on to loot shops, to set on fire public transport uh, and to create a riot, that sentiment isn't only anti-immigrants, it's also anti-Gardaí and anti-media. There's very much that narrative coming out. So there's obviously, um, which has been reported in Sunday World Today, but in other media organisations as well, there's this voicemail goes around, um, you know, as the as you get them on on, but I think it's actually originated on Telegram, but it goes around on WhatsApp about people ballying up and getting tooled up. Yeah. So that goes around, um, that person it is believed to be one of the well known far right anti immigration protesters. So they're there and they're already saying, let's get in for seven o'clock to the spire. They know what they want, which is uh, not necessarily a peaceful protest. Then there's also um, the people that are already in town that, you know, might want to cause trouble anyway. We probably don't particularly have massively strong views on immigration, but who want to be no, involved want to in a riot. And then there's the also the, the the people that are just sucked in by the whole thing and maybe are reacting emotionally to the or admittedly absolutely horrific incident that's occurred. So on we go through the night and the protests do get worse until sort of calm has been restored again. There's Gardaí attacked, there's public, there's a Lewis. I mean, apparently those are worth about 400, 500,000 or something. That Lewis that was burnt, you know, they're made in South Africa or something. Yeah, I'll take Mm. your word for the, the value. I mean, obviously what quickly happens is the guards as soon as it really starts to kick off, you know, around the bottom of Parnell Square onto O'Connell Street, the Gardaí become the, the initial target. Now, there's no doubt that uh, I was actually there for the Love Ulster riots. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but I was there covering it as a journalist. And the, it sort of kicked off at the exact same position uh, and in relatively similar circumstances in that the guards became the initial focus of that of that riot. So the guards were first attacked. Um, and you could see once, you know, there's an automatic barrier of, of people where if you touch a, you know, people believe touch a guard, there's going to be trouble. But once the first initial attacks occurred at the Love Ulster riot, people realized there's not going to be any trouble. Like there's not enough of them to quell this big group of people. Uh, the, the Love Ulster riots obviously were, you know, there, there, there was a big crowd already there protesting. And the same thing happens. There's an initial attack on a couple of Garda cars. The Gardaí sort of basically go up to the to the crowd to try and calm them down or quell them or push them back. That Garda car is sort of starts being kicked and, and attacked. It has to reverse out. And that sort of, in a sense, opens the floodgates. 
So the guards become the initial attack. And as you said, you know, you can see footage. Maybe most people have seen it at this stage, but that quickly spreads to, to, to the Lewises, to the buses. Um, the, the guards then are around O'Connell Street. There's a number of them. Some of them become isolated and they're being physically attacked by the crowd. Um, and then eventually the crowd moves on to looting. Uh, as you said, they were looting Foot Locker and Arnott's. They weren't uh, looting Guineas and Pennies. You know, so that that becomes that. I mean, there's a couple of really scary incidents. I don't know if you saw the footage of the Holiday Inn Express on Cahill Blue Street being set on fire. And you can see the person records it, flicks up to the second floor window, and you can see people are in there. I mean, the absolute dangerousness of that. Obviously, they were of the belief that the Holiday Inn Express was housing migrants. Um, so, you know, where there nobody, you know, a guard of cars being smashed up and set on fire or one thing. I mean, there was a huge potential for loss of life there. So wading into all this is Conor McGregor. And I'm just looking at his Twitter site and three hours ago, recording this on Sunday, he has made a comment to say that uh, Leo Varadkar has said it was a day of enormous joy and relief for Emily Hand and her family, the little girl that was uh, kidnapped by Hamas. He says an innocent child who was lost has now been found and returned and we breathe a massive sigh of relief. Our prayers have been answered. McGregor answers him. She was abducted by an evil terrorist organization. What is with you and your government and your paid for media affiliates constantly downplaying, attempting to repress horrific acts that happen to children? You are a disgrace. The day after a stabbing of children in Ireland, not one paper had it on their front cover. We will not forget. Now, Conor McGregor, a very influential guy to young men, really. Um, and he's becoming more and more vocal all the time about incidents and stuff around this. He has 10 million followers on his Twitter account. Um, and he's made comments of late in regards to the Ashling Murphy case and around all of this. That also really fuels the sort of, um, I suppose, that sentiment in young men and that whole idea that it's this, it's like, it's this whole narrative. It's us against them. And similar with the um, I always feel that some of the far right groups, I'm not talking about Conor McGregor as being one of those, but there's always this narrative that we'll protect the women, we'll protect the children because nobody else is going to do that. Not the Gardaí, not the media, not anybody is brave enough, but we are and we're not going to stand back and let our women and our children be killed by these so I don't know if you read the story we had up and we put it up on Thursday at 11.37. Mm. Conor McGregor has launched an astonishing attack on allowing immigrants to vote on his Twitter account declaring Ireland, yeah. we, are, we are at war. So that yeah. is in advance of this stabbing. That's gone up yeah. two, two hours before that stabbing and it was from the night before. So Conor McGregor has already been doing this um, and mm. he... Uh, Will has been subsequently vilified, obviously, and been condemned by politicians and all of that. But he will have his audience, and that's the reality. And that audience, he's been become uh, a hero to a number of people for these comments. So that's what he has done. He has said, Ashley Murphy, that's to do with immigration. This stabbing is to do with immigration. 
But he's also linked, if you look at that last posting, he's linking what's happening with Hamas and the kidnap of innocent civilians being held in tunnels underneath Gaza with this stabbing in Dublin on Thursday. And there's absolutely no clear from the little bit we know about the background of the suspect involved. He's no affiliations to any political parties, appears to have possibly some mental health issues and is somebody who has been uh, living sort of in amongst the homeless population. He's been housed and that he's certainly not a very functioning member of society as such. So let's let's so look, Conor McGregor declared we're at war in Ireland before this stabbing, just a few hours mm. before, right? And what he is actually talking about there is, it's kind of a broadly what's called the great replacement theory, which is a beloved theory by the far right, that by letting in immigrants into a country, the political elites are doing it on purpose because it guarantees them votes. So that is what Conor McGregor is talking about. It's a very fringe theory from the far right, that not that it's not that immigration is occurring in the modern world and there's refugees, but that it's been deliberately manufactured by governments in order to, because these people come in and vote for them instead of you know whatever imaginary party. So Conor McGregor is feeding directly into that, and he's feeding directly into that after the stabbing. So let's look at what we know about the stabbing now. A couple of days on, we know it was carried out by somebody who was born in Algeria, but had lived in Ireland for many, many years and was an Irish citizen. It's already more complicated in his background. He certainly had suffered from some sort of brain injury due to a tumour. He was in a homeless hospital. He was a non-functioning member of society. Um, He was uh, erratic and agitated. He'd spent a lot of time in hospital for obvious mental health issues, already more complicated. The kid who was stabbed and is the most gravely ill is from an immigrant background. The people who saved her were a brave woman from whose, whose family are from the north inner city, a brave Irish man and a brave Brazilian delivery driver, a whole complicated mix of modern Ireland. So this idea that this stabbing or this terrible tragedy is a result of immigration, it's simply not that simple. And you, instead of what of the complicated tale that it is, which is a story really of what do we do with people that are genuinely troubled and are dangerous in society, we we dump them into hostels really and don't look after them enough. That's a big part of it. But whatever about all of that bit of it, instead you have people that want to make it about one simple thing, and it's doing a disservice to reality because it doesn't help, and that's the reality. Now, the situation has calmed down. There was not more riots as were possibly expected over the weekend. Um, You were in Dublin city centre on Saturday, as was I. The place was like a ghost town. I've never seen it so empty. I've never passed through it so quickly in a car in all my days. It felt like it was Christmas morning or something and everybody was at home getting preparing for the the big the big meal. But, um, you know, it's this is all being a very negative thing for the country. It's been, you know, put us on the worldwide stage as, you know, as a pretty racist, bloody country. I mean, it's 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 deeply embarrassing what happened in the city. I would concede. I know there's a lot of talk about uh Drew Harris and uh, Helen McEntee fighting for their careers 
and their survival. I think it is policeable, the situation. I think there's a finite amount of people within the far right organisation who are willing to come out and riot and behave in this fashion. I think definitely we should be able to police it. We should be able to quell the threat of that. You know, you'd like to see the Guardi resourcing a little bit more of, uh, you know, embedding into those groups so as they have the information and the intel. But the bigger picture, I suppose, is is the politics around all this and the debate around it. And um, it's it's always very difficult to talk about because you're afraid you're going to say something wrong that will just. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a few things going on, in my opinion. Um... And the first thing is the far right have very little political representation in Ireland. The upcoming elections, whenever they are, you won't see big votes, big numbers of people voting for far right parties in Ireland, unlike in other parts of Europe. However, that does not mean that there is no far right in Ireland. The far right are massively growing. You know, they're not growing politically, but they're growing and they're on social media. If you go on Telegram, you will see unfettered, un, uh, undiluted, pure and utter racial hatred. It's just there and it's not a total minority sport. There's a good lot of people there and there is nothing that is reaching those people, if you know what I mean. They're in there in their own little bubble on social media. And where once we had a country maybe 10 years ago where people were afraid of being called racist. What they're saying now is we don't care if people call us racist. So there is something is gone wrong and it's not enough to say it's just an isolated incident. There is something wrong. And unfortunately, as that grows, it's sucking in people that are not, you know, of that inclination. So that's that is the reality. The far right, you know, we in the in this country have sometimes been uh, a bit complacent because we can say, look, in Holland are electing people that are far right, but we don't have that in Ireland and we don't, but it's growing there. Now, I don't think the police are all over that. I don't think uh, there is a lot of monitoring there because if there was, people would be being arrested more because they're not restricting. And it's also these people have become quite skilled mm-hmm. at social media. Like that is the other thing. Like they are quite skilled at propaganda uh, you know, picking out things, framing it, presenting it, and delivering it. And you talked about Tommy Robinson. He will be a classic example. Like Tommy Robinson, I'm not saying anything positive about Tommy Robinson, but there's no point saying it's not skilled and it's not powerful to the pe- to, to to in how we reach a certain people. Unfortunately, it is not factually driven. And what you have, as I tried to sort of say there. This is a hugely complicated scenario involving people, issues involving people that were not born in this country. But it's not a simple thing that we're letting in people and they're just stabbing people and nobody cares. But that is they are managing to get that message across. So as regards to propaganda, yes, they 100 percent have and they're very well funded. And, you know, in a way, I'm not sure that policing has managed to get to the bottom of that funding. If you stand back and look at the even bigger picture, it's very clear that organised crime likes the far right and its activities. It likes that disruption. It likes the fact that it sucks all the resources of policing uh, into it. 
And, you know, there is certainly suggestions that it is strongly funded by organised crime. You know, the, the, the far right movement. I think you have what you had with, with, with MTK Global. It's a way for criminals to come across as the as community representatives. Like that is, I think, the great motivation for, for what they do. All of a sudden, instead of becoming scumbag drug dealers, as, as people would view them, instead they become community activists. And by preying on those fears, they give themselves a respectability. And we've seen that in organised crime for, a, for well over 100, but even before hundreds of years. That is how organised crime operates. They want to have a dual function in society, not just criminality, but they also want to uh, control their communities by appearing to be like the Godfather, who's going to dish out, you know, dish out uh, a sort of underground policing, uh, settle disputes. And they do all that for for that reason. So I think that's the danger with far right and criminality. Step in, of course, to save those innocent women and children who nobody else is willing to. Exactly. Except except for the Brazilian dr- delivery drivers and the ordinary people of Dublin who really did mm. step in and do it. Um, you know, there's a part of me that finds it really, really depressing. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, the lack of a solution, I suppose. And I just really don't, just that demonization of people with different skin color or with different origins. Like it is just a wrong thing. And I just fear it's becoming more acceptable Mm. in society. It's creeping into not acceptable. It's not acceptable in Black Rock or Dawkey or an RTE. But there is another group of people. And some of these are ordinary, decent people where all of a sudden what was taboo is being diluted. And uh, if you think that all those people that were out those East Wall protests, for example, are knuckle-dragging racists, like some of the people who are driving the, the, the protests, maybe. They're not. There's some ordinary people there. And there is problems in this country. And unfortunately, cynical, far-right people are exploiting it. And they're exploiting it for various reasons. And not, not alone are there people like Tommy Robinson who are becoming wealthy on the back of what they do. And of course, Tommy Robinson back on Twitter since Elon Musk took it over, back with a huge platform again. He was banned for a long time. He was banned over the time he was here in this country, travelling around, filming with very high end, uh, you know, camera crews, etc. Higher end than a lot of media organisations could afford now to send out. And the creation of a, a, a film that he made or what he called it, he had to put it out on different social media sites because he wasn't on Twitter at the time. But he travelled the country. He went around and he 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 created something that people went ahead and watched. And, and he created this sort of scene or this idea that Ireland was under attack from immigrants and that, you know, all these protests that were going around, going on in certain areas of the country, they were happening because uh, these immigrants were going to go out and rape our children and kill our you know, women and, you know, you got, you have the money to, to, to package that in something that looks good and is expensive and has all the production values of a high end movie. Um, and it makes it all the more believable for certain people. Yeah, it's a motive. And, you know, it, it, I mean, the real issue is, you know, that 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 he is managing to reach people that we 
in the media aren't, that our politicians aren't, because there are people suffering in this country, um, suffering, you know, who don't have somewhere to live, who don't have a hope of ever having a permanent home, who are working day-to-day, zero-hour contracts. And unfortunately, he is reaching them with a, a simple answer that it's the immigrants' fault or it's the government's mm-hmm. fault for allowing Im- immigration. And unfortunately, the media and other people aren't reaching them and saying, no, that is not the problem. There are other problems and, you know, that, that you know, it's not right the way you, you, people have to struggle so much in this country. Some people who are allowed fall into chronic poverty and see their children suffer poverty and disadvantage. So, you know, that's the tragic bit of it because mm. it's the same thing that went on and it's gone on for hundreds of years. And the Irish, of course, were subjected to it on a couple of occasions. We were subjected to it in, in, in America, post-famine era. We were subjected to it in the UK, in, in, in you know, the post-war era, where if you look back at what was said in the post-famine era in, in New York about the Irish coming over, going to destroy the country. They were Catholic. They were diluting the uh, Anglo-Saxon spirit of America. They were lazy, violent drunks. The language is the exact same 160 years later. It is no different. What happens 160 years later in America? Or am I got my maths right? Probably. Probably not. The Irish have integrated there and, you know, they have become the backbone of the citizenry of the United States. I think on the Supreme Court now, four or five of them have have Irish ancestry. So this Mm. is what this is what the truth of immigration is. It, it happened then. It happened in the post-war era. I don't know if you saw the thing I shared on Twitter. Um, it was footage from the BBC in the 1970s about the Irish coming over here and taking our jobs. It is brilliant. So the same mm. thing is happening now. You have kids. I have kids. There's kids in that school that have might have come from Eastern Europe background. Their parents are Eastern Europe. Those kids are Irish. I know them. I talk to them every day. Those people are a gift to this country. And, you know, the same things that were being said about us, the same flaws that were meant to be inherent in the Irish, people are saying the same things about people now as they come into Ireland. And it won't be true. It won't be true in decades now. It just won't be true. Those people will be, their their descendants will be Irish people that are the backbone of the country. That is the way it is. I think uh, you should throw your hat into the ring for the president, given that we have Conor McGregor being urged to do so online. My dark past would definitely catch up with me then. Would definitely catch up with you, there's no doubt. So look, um, you know, let's revisit this again as the week goes on and we have more thoughts on it. But for the moment, I suppose at least the city has been secured as regards the riots from what we can see. And uh, it has certainly focused our attention on all those problems that are going on in the background, if nothing else. Um, that poor child is still critical in hospital and the care worker is still in hospital. The other two, thank God, have been released and seem to be making a recovery. And really, that is the most awful and horrific thing that happened that day and was totally overshadowed by the riots that followed. Um, so we obviously don't forget that. So, Niall Donald, thank you very much. Thank you, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced 
by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.